Well, good morning. We got a little bit of a taste of spring, real spring, yesterday. I hope you had a chance to enjoy the four or five hours in the afternoon that were wonderful. I've been asking the question, why doesn't every single person repent of their sins? Have you ever asked that question? Why is it that not everyone comes to the conclusion that they need a relationship with God? Why is it that some people just refuse to admit that they're wrong and ask God for forgiveness? Well, you know, as I've studied this section of Scripture in Revelation chapter 16, and as I've thought a lot about it this week, I've come to this conclusion. People don't repent because they don't want to. It's just very simple. People don't have a relationship with God because they don't want one. You see, God has given us free will. He's given us the ability to choose. And in giving us the ability to choose, many people choose not to repent, not to have a relationship with God. And sadly, the result of that is that of God's judgment. So what we're going to see here in chapter 16, starting this week, is the result in a time in the future called the time of tribulation, when there is a seven-year time period where God is going to work mightily on the earth, during that time period, God's wrath will be poured out on the earth, but only on those that reject Christ, reject God, and worship the devil in the world system, the Antichrist. And when this happens, there'll be people who have made their choice. And, and, and the truth of what we're going to read today is, even with the consequences of that choice, they still would not have chosen differently. That is a very difficult truth to absorb, but it's still true. Jesus told us that many were called, but few were chosen. And some people like to look at that and come to the conclusion that people don't make a choice. God makes the choice for them. And because he makes the choice for them, we don't really have a choice. But, you know, God is so great and awesome that he can give you the free will to choose him and still be in complete and total control. Amen? Let's open in prayer. And as we do, let's open our hearts. And let's not be among those people who choose to reject Christ. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And, and we know that on Palm Sunday, we celebrate the welcoming of you into Jerusalem as the Messiah to the Jews. But we, as, as your people, we, we welcomed you into our hearts by faith. And we, and we pray that many would do the same before the end comes. And all we can do is pass on the message, the, the truth of your word, knowing that uh, you're in control of all things, that, but, that you've given each of us the opportunity to choose. And I pray to, that if there's anyone here today that hasn't chosen to follow after you, I pray they would. Through the study of your word, and by your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you can turn with me to chapter 16 in the book of Revelation, and in verse 1. And we're going to read to start just verse 1. John tells us, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying, To the seven angels, go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. Last week in chapter 15, we saw that that wrath was being prepared, that judgment was being uh, set up so that it could be poured out on the earth, and there was the, the warnings that came out. But now we actually see this begin to happen. John hears in a loud voice from the temple in heaven, 
He hears a voice say, go and pour out those seven bowls, those seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. This is God's own command, his own voice to these seven angels to do what he has held back until the last possible moment to do. God could pour out his wrath today and no one would excuse it. No one would, no one would say, well, you know what, the, the, he shouldn't have done it. No, no, everyone understands this world is wicked. It's evil. You know, I, I have to say there are many Christians that see the evil in the world. And I understand their hearts. They're longing for judgment. I get it. I feel the same sometimes. But they have a tendency to only look at the evil and God's coming judgment and not look at the heart of God for his people. Now, if God didn't love the world, he wouldn't have sent Jesus, his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If God wanted to bring judgment right now, and, and, and he could justify that, and, and it would be just for to bring judgment now for him to do that. But as we saw last week, he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. If God is holding his judgment back to the last possible minute so that people might have the choice to choose him and be saved, why do we get so fixated on God's judgment? Well, because we want those bad guys to get it. We want to be vindicated. We want there to be consequences for people that abuse little children or mutilate them. We want there to be consequences for people that promote evil in this world and harm others. And it's right to feel that way. But many Christians are starting to become very dark. And they look at the world and they see no good in it. And as long as God is working in the world, there is good in the world. Amen? And as long as there are Christians and those that love God working, there's good in the world. Christ is working because the Holy Spirit is here within his people working mightily. On our behalf. So I'm not here to paint a rosy picture and tell you everything's okay and it's all good and no one needs to get excited about it. But I'm also going to say when you put out YouTube videos and you, and you start promoting this doom and gloom gospel. Oh, any minute now, all those people are going to get it and you're all going to die. When that's your message, you've lost purpose. You are no longer a minister of the gospel. When your whole message is criticizing others... And finding fault with everyone? You've gone to the dark side. And I want to stress this morning, we're going to talk about some very dark things. But remember this. Those dark things haven't happened yet. Why is that? Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And yet many will choose to reject him. And still he patiently waits. The scripture, he describes himself to Moses in the scripture as abounding in mercy, long-suffering, filled with compassion and grace. So that's the God I serve. That's the God you serve. That's the God we preach. It's not a God of just justice and judgment, but of mercy and grace. And so here's what we see. We do know that there are cataclysmic judgments that will come on the earth. When time has run out and people have been given the choice and those that have chosen him are secure in his presence and those that continue to reject him continue to reject him, at that point judgment will finally come, again at the last possible moment. When judgment comes, this is sort of a continuation of the cataclysmic judgments that began after the opening of the sixth seal that we talked about back in chapter 6. We're now in chapter 16. 
So we've talked about some of these things already. And back in chapter 6, John saw a great earthquake. He saw a great earthquake happen on the earth when the sixth seal was opened. We saw there that the sun turned black, the moon turned red, and the stars actually fell to earth. Uh, Those would be meteorites, asteroids. The sky receded. Every mountain and island was removed from its place. And that was just the beginning of the judgment. See, even when God does finally bring judgment, it starts out slowly and progresses to the point where his wrath is completed on the earth. It's not a one-time, one-moment, I am, you were. It isn't that kind of experience. It's, it's, It's a process. Why is it a process? Because God is merciful, and he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. How fortunate we are right now living in this world, as dark as it is, to have the opportunity to respond without the level of cataclysms that we see in the last days. And yet we have many of those happening in our world today. There are plagues. Just the other day, just yesterday, I read an article about how now they're worried about the Marburn virus. And if you think the COVID virus was bad, believe me, the Marburn virus is far worse. Hemorrhagic fever. You know, you want to stay up all night worrying, then read about the Marburn or the Ebola viruses. It's funny how the news is so good at talking about those things, doom and gloom all the time. I see the wars happening in Europe. I see the things that are happening in our world. And if your attitude or the banking problems or all the things that are going wrong, and if you're always talking about that negativity, do me a favor, man, stay away from me. I got the news if I want to be depressed. How about you come up to me and encourage me in my faith? Tell me God is good. Can you tell me God is good? Is God good? Amen. We need to get to a place as Christians where we're not the bummer in the room. I'm not discounting the things we're going through in our world. I'm not making light of school shootings, which continue to happen because there are disturbed people being celebrated in our world. Regardless of their supposed gender or biological sex, there are people in our world that need help. And instead of helping them, we're hurting them and making them worse. And so when they act out, they do evil things. Yes, our world is dark, and it's going to get darker. I'm trying to encourage you. That's not the encouraging part. But there are calamities that are going to get worse. All of these, the summation of seven trumpets, and now we see seven bowls, and the seven trumpets were like judgment light. And now you've got the seven bowls, which are like the completion of God's wrath on the earth. We saw natural conditions, or nuclear weapons might have caused some of these changes that were described for us in Revelation chapters 8 through 9. Even in chapters 15 and 16, we see these things. Earthquakes are talked about a lot, and they seem to bring about most of the other calamities on the earth. We've seen quite an increase in earthquakes, but there's always been earthquakes. But sadly, lots of people perish in earthquakes. Volcanic fallout. That can obscure the sun and filter the reflection of the moon's surface and change the colors of the sun and the moon. And that, we think, is what's talked about there. Meteors, meteorites asteroids, comets, those things can hit the earth. In fact, every other month I hear some story from NASA. Oh, there's an asteroid that's passing between the moon and the earth. There's a lot of distance between the moon and the earth, but that's pretty close. I would say, you know, if it's passing outside the orbit of the moon, I'm not too worried about it. But you look at the moon, it's filled with craters, right? You look at our earth, there's places where asteroids have hit before. You know what encourages me? that that doesn't happen like every day. 
People say, oh, you see, yeah, but do you also see that God is protecting us now? That it doesn't happen every other day? But you listen to NASA, you think it's going to happen tomorrow. But we look at this and we realize there are things that can happen that God is actually protecting the earth and holding back those things because he, he doesn't want to have to bring judgment. See, you can look at it, glass half empty, glass half full. Yes, the days are going to get darker, but aren't you glad they're not that dark just yet? Aren't you glad that God continues to protect us and holds back his wrath? You have to see that as God's grace. Oh, the atmosphere would be obscured and destroyed by things like volcanic and meteoric fallout. And those days will come, but that day isn't today, thank goodness. I I read the news this morning to see how the winds would be in our area. Unfortunately, around here we have gusts of about 30, pretty strong. I did comb my hair before I came to church. I don't know what it looks like now, but you're supposed to tell me it looks fine, but that's okay. All I know is that when I read the news, the first time it said, oh, in the Northeast, tornadoes and, you know, 70 mile an hour gusts, I thought, whoa, what's going on? And I realized in our area, that's not the case. But in some parts of the Northeast, uh, in Delaware, they had a tornado. These things happen. But what happens when they happen at such a rate and with such frequency that there's no escaping them? I've often thought, I mean, what if I'm a church and a tornado, you know, hits my house or my car? I have insurance for that. I'm not going to worry about it, do the best I can. I'm not going to drive into one. But at a certain point, you have to trust God. Can I hear an amen? And is God good? All the time. So here's the thing. You can be encouraged, even though I'm talking about some pretty dark things, even though the scripture describes judgment, even though the things we see happening in the last days describe massive geological and topographical changes to the earth. God is still in control. The fact that it's not happening now and it hasn't happened yet shows God's grace and mercy. Now, John, once again, saw these seven angels, seven messengers. They have the seven last plagues that when they're finally poured out, God's wrath will be completed on the earth. There will not be more wrath poured out. That will be it. And then the Lord will come again and set this world right. And that I'm looking forward to. These plagues are designed to dramatically affect mankind and remind mankind of God's blessings through his wonderful creation. See, we're in a place now where the world is worshiping the creation and not the creator. You know, I have some good friends that look at life and when things go well, they say, oh, the universe smiled on us. When things are sort of coincidental, they'll be like, oh, the the universe, the universe. The universe is a terrible place. I just read another article. See, I read too much news. I don't watch the news anymore. But I do read it. That apparently there's this black hole now sending some energy toward us from another galaxy. Don't worry, it's, I think it was 565 million light years away, so I'm not worried about it. But they, they had to tell me that with my coffee yesterday morning. I'm worried about, am I going to get to finish this cup of coffee or am I going to die? The universe is a very ugly, dangerous place. It is. And yet here we are on this planet, surviving, really. I mean, I know not everyone has it as well as we do, but overall, we're doing pretty well, aren't we? God is good, amen? He's given us a wonderful place to live. I mean, we do our best to destroy it, but still God is good. God is good. 
But when we see God's judgment poured out on the earth in the last days, it will remind mankind of all the good things he's done for man all these many years, thousands of years. And the thing that I think it it comes out loud and clear in this scripture is that God shows mankind that he can remove his blessings at any time. See, we, we, we blame God for the bad things that happen, but what we should be doing is thanking God for the good things. I remember someone said one time, I don't understand why God rejected Esau, why God rejects certain people. And another gentleman responded, I don't understand why God loved Jacob. I don't understand why God was good to anyone. (laughs) There are some people that, like Esau, reject God. And there are others, like Jacob, that respond. I can't tell you, beyond what I already opened with, that people make a choice. I really can't tell you why, other than people come to God because they want to. And they reject God because they want to. So, here's what happens. And that's my intro to make you realize I'm not, I'm not all into death and judgment today, okay? And neither is God, for that matter. In verse 2 we read, The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land. And this is a symbol, a bowl being poured out. And ugly, painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. Ugly, painful sores. Not just painful, ugly too. Ugly, painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. This is very similar to the plague of boils that came upon Egypt in Exodus chapter 9. Actually, the Ten Commandments was just on TV last night. So if you watch that, then you know that's true. And it's interesting as well because when the first trumpet sounded, we're talking about the bowl judgments and go back to the seven trumpet judgments, the earth was also affected by the first trumpet and its people were devastated now by the first bowl judgment. So there's a theme. You're going to see every one of the trumpets and every one of the bowls is linked somewhat, some more than others. But what's the point? Who are these that worship the image of the beast and take the mark of the beast? We talked about them a couple of months ago, but... This is, this is, in short, those that reject God. Those that worship the devil and, and follow Antichrist, anything against Christ. And, you know, there used to be a time, I'm in my late 50s, but there used to be a time when I couldn't believe that anyone would choose such wickedness. But then I see what these wicked people do and the choices they make and how hate-filled they are. And I think to myself, no, I understand why in the last days people will choose the mark of the beast and worship his image, reject God, and follow the devil. Because we're already living in a time, though there is no mark at the moment, there's a time where lots of people are already doing those things. And it's only going to get worse, but God is good. Amen? Well, then the second angel pours out his bowl on the sea. And we see in verse 3, the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. You know, like you have probably seen in the news, the, the whales that keep washing up on the Jersey Shore and throughout the Northeast. And it's sad that we would so abuse God's beautiful creation that the creatures in the sea would suffer. But they do. They do. Not just whales, dolphins, other, other types of fish. You know, We've polluted our environment. They're not sure exactly why that's happening, but it just so happens that in an effort to, quote-unquote, save the planet, we're building windmills 
out in the middle of the sea and ex- setting off explosives on the seabed. And then they, apparently there's, there's interference with certain technology that they think this is the cause of it. Interestingly enough, kills a lot of birds too. So to save the planet, we're killing the planet. See, that's the best man can do. And I've often said, you know, if your thing is climate change, <clears throat> the climate changes. If you didn't notice that, yesterday was warm, today is cold. The climate changes a lot. In my lifetime, I remember winters where we were freezing and <clears throat> it was snowing. And then this last winter was mild. Climate changes. For a while, they said it was going to be like an ice age. It was going to be really cold. And then when it started to get warm, they, instead of doing uh, one approach, they switched it on us. And, you know, now it's global. If it wasn't global warming, then it's climate change. And then here's my thing with that. Great. You want to protect the environment. So do I especially the life on the planet, like humans and animals and plants. I am a conservationist. I'm all about that. I want them to stop building in the state of New Jersey. Believe me. I want a moratorium on all new construction. But when I look at the situation, I realize, will trillions of dollars change anything? Or is it just an excuse to take our money? I'll let you figure that out. Because if you could tell me that we could spend a trillion dollars and maybe make the world a better place, I might be behind it. All I see is wars and rumors of wars, plagues, pestilences, evil in the hearts of man continually. So somehow I don't think money's going to fix it either. Oh, are you a climate denier? No, I believe the climate exists. I also believe men are evil and they abuse opportunities to take advantage of us. Well, that second angel pours out his bowl on the sea. And the sea turns to blood like that of a dead man. Every living creature in the sea dies. Now, whether this is just one section of the ocean around the area that we're talking about, maybe it's the Mediterranean Sea, or it's all of the oceans, which more than likely is the case, this is a pretty bad time to be alive. Think about it. This would destroy the Earth's environment, not just the animals, the environment, the climate. Man's primary food source would be destroyed. I found this interesting, that chemically speaking, and, and there may be, I think Carl is a chemist. Uh, if they're a chemist here, tell me if this is true, but this is what I read. I'm not a chemist, so I don't know. But the composition of seawater is almost chemically identical to that of blood. I found that interesting. Anyway, this is very similar to the plague of waters turning to blood that took place in Egypt. Again, back to the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 7. Well, the sea was affected by the second trumpet, and now it's devastated by the second bowl. So what we see are degrees of, of God's wrath. So it starts at the trumpet bowls, and, and God's wrath is poured out, but not completely. Then the bowl judgments come, and God's wrath is poured out completely. So you see how God is so reluctant to just pour out his wrath that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance? See, that, to me, encourages me. God loves the world and the people in it. Well, then we get to the third angel. He pours out his bowl, as we see in verse 4 through 7. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, you who are and who were, 
the Holy One, because you have so judged, for they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, as they deserve. And I heard the altar, that is those under the altar, respond, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. You see, God is not longing to judge the earth, but when he does, there'll be no one that can say, well, God's really being unfair. In fact, you don't want fair. Because God is so much better than fair with us. He's gracious. Gracious. So the rivers and the springs become blood. So not just the seawater, but we have the fresh water. Man's fresh water supply, his remaining food resources. You see what God is doing? He's pulling back his blessings step by step with the hope that those that are seeing this will recognize that God is in control and cry out to God and repent. Now, mankind wouldn't last more than a few days without fresh water. By the way, this is also similar to the plague of the waters turning to blood that we talked about with the sea that took place in the book of Exodus. Now, the springs of water were also affected by the third trumpet. They were devastated here by the third bowl judgment. And then John hears the angel in charge of the waters declare that God is just in his judgment. So as bad as this looks, as severe as it might appear, God is only being just in bringing about these judgments in the last days. By the way, again, not today. He described God's judgments on the earth as just, and he called him, this angel, he called him Jehovah. By by saying he who was and he who is and he who is to come, that's really referring to the name of God, Jehovah, or the great I am. See, Jehovah is a compound from three words, He who is, he who was, and he who is to come. Now here, interestingly enough, he only mentions you who are and who were. He doesn't say you who are to come. Why is that? Because here he is coming in judgment. No need to mention that. He's witnessing God's judgment. But Jehovah is translated, I am. I am that I am. In the book of Exodus in chapter 3. A lot of references to Exodus in this judgment. Now God sees everything. God knows everything. And this angel refers to God as the Holy One. And the word holy is not just being perfect, because of course God is perfect. It's separate. It's different. There's no one like God, our holy, holy, holy God, who is God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is no one like God. And this angel says something very interesting that mankind deserved to drink blood, for they had shed the blood of his saints and his prophets, his people. Now, I think we could all agree that those that shed the blood of the righteous, the innocent, deserve to drink that blood. That is, when judgment comes, I am not going to be their attorney. I'm not going to defend anyone that receives God's judgment. My job as a pastor and as a Christian is to warn people not to advocate for those that are wicked. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, I'm not on the side of the wicked. I'm on the side of the righteous. Are you with me? Can I hear an amen? But what I'm trying to do, what we're trying to do, is reach the wicked that they might repent. But honestly, if they don't, I shed no tears for the destruction of the wicked who harm the innocent and the righteous. None. Am I bloodthirsty? No. But these are the people who are. And they're bloodthirsty, and in that day, they will drink blood. And that is a just judgment for them. 
Now, John, if you remember with me back in chapter 6, this chapter is sort of linked to that study. John had seen the souls of the faithful martyrs, those that had been put to death for their faith, and they were under the altar when the fifth seal was opened. Now, the seals came before the uh, trumpets, which come before the bowls. There were seven seals, seven trumpets, and now seven bowls. But going back to the fifth seal, there were these souls, and they were under the altar because they had been sacrificed for God. Their sacrifice was for God, the sacrifice of their lives. They were killed by their enemies. Why? Because they believed and obeyed God's word. And we're seeing today more and more persecution of people who believe and obey God's word. In the UK recently, a woman was arrested for silently praying outside an abortion clinic. I want you to think about that. If you've read George Orwell's 1984, you're a little concerned. Because that basically means that's a thought crime. Because nothing came out of her mouth, just prayer, silent prayer, and she was arrested. I believe she was released without charges. I think she was arrested again. They're trying to intimidate her, obviously. Why are they so concerned about prayer? Maybe because it works. But these individuals, these souls that we talked about back in chapter 6, they were killed for believing the word, and they were killed for maintaining their testimony in the face of death. That is, they were willing to give their lives for what they believed. Now, here's the thing. The way I'm built, fortunately, for me, maybe not for you, but for me, the way I'm built is I am perfectly willing to go out fighting. I will not be that person that goes silently on a, on a, on a train car to a concentration camp. Just letting you know right now. I just made my brown belt in Okinawan karate. I will use everything within my power to resist that kind of nonsense. But here's the thing. I'm not advocating for insurrection either. I'm simply saying... The way I'm built, if that's what it comes to, so be it. And I think as Christians, we need to get a little brave here. And you have to realize our brothers and sisters throughout the world, even now, are giving their lives for their faith. We got a cushy existence here. As bad as things are getting, it's still nowhere near what it must be like to be a Christian in North Korea. Or just a citizen of North Korea. Or in China. Or Saudi Arabia. Or other parts of the world, like Iran, or Sudan. See, what I want you to understand is, God, I I think over the last couple of years, has been sort of weeding out, calling out those that really aren't Christians, or really just kind of just showing up and faking it. And what we're left with is a group of people, hopefully a group of people, who are truly, honestly loving God and serving Him, and even willing to give their lives for the truth. Amen? So the way I'm built, I'm not really worried about that. It's not something I stay up night worrying about. I don't want it to happen, but I'll tell you what. Hey, there's simply no other option. I am not going to just get in line and do what I'm told. It's just never going to happen, not with me. So, when we look at the martyrs, we realize John had heard these martyrs. They called out to God for him to judge their murderers and avenge their blood. And you can understand why. John saw these martyrs. They were given a white robe. They were told to wait a little while longer for their fellow servants who would also be killed. So the martyrs before the tribulation are crying out for God's judgment. And God says, not yet. There are more martyrs. And then when those martyrs give their lives, after that, the judgment will come. And that's what we're reading about. 
By the way, the white robes that are given are symbols of Christ's righteousness, imputed or given to his people, to all of his redeemed. Their blood would be avenged after the martyrdom of all the faithful servants of God was completed. And you see, there, there is God's grace again. God doesn't just judge when, 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 or bring his judgment when one group of people are martyred. He's waiting. He's giving people an opportunity to repent. Throughout the centuries, martyrs have been giving their lives for the truth, for the relationship with God. And God is going to wait till all those that are called to be martyred are martyred, and then he'll bring judgment. And that just goes to show you God's grace in waiting and crying out and hoping those individuals will repent. John heard the souls of the martyrs under the altar in heaven, back in chapter 6, declare that God is just in his judgments. So you may think, I may think, we may think that God is moving a little too slow. That he's right on time. Amen? They call him the Lord God Almighty. In Hebrew, it's El Shaddai. They describe God's judgments on the earth as true and just. And by the way, that's the thing. If God isn't bringing his judgment at this very moment, then his judgments are true and just, and you have to be patient. Those that give their lives are patient. I think we can be patient a little while longer. Well, then the fourth angel pours out his bowl on the sun in verses 8 and 9. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire, and they were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues. Notice, who's in control? God is in control. But here's the most disturbing line in this section. Notice, they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. Remember what I told you? The reason why people don't repent is they don't want to. You would think at this point someone might say, you know, maybe I'll repent. You would think, but no. The sun was given the power to scorch people with fires or seared by the intense heat. This, of course, would destroy the Earth's environment, its climate. Talk about global warming. The climate, mankind would all suffer. Mankind would be forced to take refuge in caves and underground shelters. And they cursed the name of God who had control over these things and these plagues, but but still refuse to repent and glorify him. Now, understand, those that reject God simply don't want to repent. Those that spend eternity in hell probably, and this is going to sound a little severe, probably wouldn't leave even if they had the chance. What? These people are living through hell and they won't repent. You see, what I'm beginning to understand is those that will spend an eternity in hell, they're choosing to go there. They're choosing to be there. It isn't like bait and switch where someone tells them, oh, it's timeshare. You're going to buy this condo and you're going to get to use it. It's going to be great. And then when you go to use it, you know, you never really get to it. There's no bait and switch here. God is very clear as to what is going to happen and people still choose to reject him. So I can only surmise that people truly want to go to hell. They do. What other conclusion can I come to? Now, the heavens were affected by the fourth trumpet, and the sun was now devastated by the fourth bowl judgment. So that theme continues of the trumpets being linked to the bowls. I want to just cover one last of these bowls, and then we'll pick it up after Easter. Next week, we'll be studying something uh, specific to Easter. 
But as I look at this, fifth bowl in verses 10 and 11, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom was plunged into darkness and men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. So notice the pains and the sores, the darkness, all of the devastation. But they refused to repent of what they had done. Again, we're told. That's a second time. That kind of reinforces my point. The kingdom of Satan on earth, the the darkness is going to be plunged into darkness. Men are going to gnaw their tongues in agony. And they still have an opportunity to repent. And they don't. Of course, this is similar to the plague of darkness upon the enemy's throne in Egypt back in Exodus 10. So these plagues are very similar. They've been uh, addressed before in our studies in the Bible. And the fifth trumpet brought spiritual darkness and torment. Now the fifth bowl brings judgment and darkness as well. And they curse the God of heaven. How is it God's fault? It's the consequences of their actions, but yet now it's God's fault? They blame God for their pains and their sores. Some people have suggested that the mark that they receive actually causes the pains and the sores. I don't know that that's true. But they still refuse to repent for what they've done. Again, I'm going to say this again. Those that reject God simply don't want to repent of their sins. They don't. They choose not to. So that person you're praying for that hasn't repented, hasn't come to Christ, it's because they don't want to. They don't want to. So, see, what's the hope? Well, you pray that they'll want to. But if God isn't going to violate their free will, I can't. I certainly cannot. If you invite your family member to Easter and they say, no, I don't want to come, I I hate God, I don't believe in God, then they've made their choice. Now, I'm not saying you give up on them. You can pray that they'll change their heart. God continues to give them opportunity. But please understand something. They've made their choice. You've made yours. If you believe in Christ today, And those that spend eternity in hell probably wouldn't leave even if they had the chance. But that's something we don't need to worry about because we've given our hearts to Jesus Christ. Amen? And all we've said is we're worthy of hell. We deserve the judgment that we're reading about today, but we're not going to receive it because Christ took upon himself the judgment that we deserved. See, we look at that situation. God has given us eyes to see, but hearts to understand. But we've also exercised our will by saying, you know, I think I want out of God's judgment. I think what you say in your word, God, is true. I'm a sinner, and I've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by the things I've done and left undone. My sin is ever present with me. I've sinned against you. I'm guilty, and I confess that. And I acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross, not so that we can make movies about his dying on the cross. Or have a a celebration of his death and resurrection once a year. He died on the cross because if he didn't die on the cross, even if we wanted to repent, we couldn't. There would be no hope and there'd be no heaven. There'd be only hell. But because he died on the cross for our sins, and just as importantly, as we're about to celebrate next week, rose again on the third day, amen? He gives us salvation through his blood and resurrection through the empty tomb. And then he ascended into heaven, 
where to this day he makes intercession, ever lives to make intercession on our behalf. That is, he's praying that you're listening to these words and you're not like these fools who choose judgment and hell. If you haven't chosen Christ yet, he's praying for you to respond to the gospel. Finally, he says he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. And many people say, well, where is God? And they don't realize by saying that, that they're discounting the mercy and the patience of God who waits for you to respond. We're about to receive communion. And this is going to be real easy for those of you who haven't chosen Christ yet, because here's the, here's the truth. We're glad you're here today. Some of you are visiting. We're really glad to have you with us. But if you come to the table and in your heart you say, you know, I'm going to receive the bread, which represents Christ's body broken for me, and I'm going to receive the cup, which represents Christ's blood shed for me, by that simple act of faith in your heart, it's not about these elements. It's about what they represent. You are saved. Can I hear an amen? Spare the judgment of God. Oh, is it magic? No, no, it's not magic. God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for your sins. And if you by faith believe that, and to as many as received him, to those that believed on his name, he gave them the right to be called the children of God, the sons and the daughters of God. See, it's your choice. Oh, all I have to do is choose? Yes. And if you want to go to hell, then all you need to do is not choose. So here's the thing. Ball's in your court. We see the result, the inevitable result of those who are alive on the earth that reject Christ. We'll see in future studies the inevitable result of those that reject Christ for eternity. But here's the truth. We're also going to study the heaven and the paradise that will be experienced for all eternity by those who, like those who come to the table today, choose Christ. Please don't come to the table unless you're choosing Christ. But please come to the table. Please choose Christ. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. And in a chapter filled with so much judgment, you've shown us a wonderful, encouraging message of grace. May we respond to that message of grace by giving our hearts to you. And for those of us who have given our hearts to you already, may we renew that commitment of faith and a commitment to sharing that truth. But may we understand that we can share it all day long and Yet each of us have to make a choice. And there are many that are on the broad road to destruction, but few that choose the narrow way to eternal life. May everyone here today settle their heart before you. May there be none that leave this place today not sure of where they will spend eternity. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.